Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Client experience is everything. And even in really traditional accounting firms, the one thing they do really, 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 really well, the partners who are successful, is the client experience is amazing. That client calls in, that partner picks up, and it's a special conversation. They have a special relationship. They feel treasured. I've seen that. And if you're sitting in the room and you hear a call like that, you go, this client is never going to leave our firm. We could cost them tens of thousands of dollars in tax screw-ups, and they will never leave because of this relationship with this partner. Welcome to Smart Strategy for CPAs, where I help you work less and earn more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Blake Oliver specializes in cloud technology and is the co-host of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a weekly news update for accountants and bookkeepers. In 2016 and 2017, he was named CPA Practice Advisors 40 Under 40 list, and in 2019, named Accounting Today's Top 100 Most Influential People. Blake Oliver, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Geraldine. It's great to be here. Let's jump right in. Where is accounting technology going and what are the implications that you think accountants and CPAs are not seeing? Man, it's been crazy. I've been doing this accounting technology thing for pretty much my entire career in accounting. I I started as a bookkeeper and very early on got into cloud. I was the second zero certified bookkeeper in the US. I was really not planning on that being a big deal. I was in the right place at the right time when they were a new company and they grew really fast, and I built a whole practice around it. So I've always been enmeshed in it. Um, So for me, it's not strange to be using half a dozen different apps to do bookkeeping for clients and to be working with people all over the country and even the world. But I understand that's like a big change for a lot of people, and a lot of people are just now coming into that. I think the, the degree to which cloud has now permeated our lives with COVID is the biggest change that's happened. Like everyone has gone remote, We are now all competing online. We can't get clients through in-person events anymore or networking. And that has just thrown a lot of people for a loop. And how about in terms of the coming technology of like what's being developed? Because there's so many apps now hitting the marketplace. I can't even keep track. There are, there are. And I work for an app now. Uh, I I, I made the leap into the dark side, into accounting (laughs) technology, uh, marketing actually. So I have an interesting like position seeing what's going on inside the tech world now. Uh, there are a lot of tech companies that are trying to automate the transactional data entry in bookkeeping and essentially to eliminate that data entry job. 
on the general ledger side, on the accounts payable side, on even the payroll side. And I think eventually they'll figure it out and they'll be successful. Right now, pretty terrible results. In a lot of cases, they make a big mess. Mm -hmm. Some companies are trying to use a mix of people and tech to do that. You've got Botkeeper doing that. You've got QuickBooks Live. You've got now, what's the, the LegalZoom, the legal company, right? LegalZoom. We just, on our podcast, discovered that they are launching a bookkeeping and tax practice. <laughs> so they're not going to be able to do advanced stuff, like super complex stuff. It's going to be very simple, but you know they're going to figure out how to do that, and they're going to compete at the bottom end of the market. So if that's what you're selling people is, I'm going to write up your transactions every month for a pretty low fee, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something, you might feel a lot of pressure. Uh, from those apps, these apps that are becoming bookkeeping companies and tax practices. Uh, so we have to figure out how do we differentiate ourselves? How do we put ourselves above all that? So what's your take on what are the best ways to do that? Uh, my colleague and podcast host, David Leary, is famous for saying niching. Huh? He's all about that. And I'm sure that you are as well. Yeah. Um, it's from a marketing standpoint, having a specific industry that you work with is super helpful, especially if you are working with clients all over the country, because your town used to be your distinction, you know, your geography. And if that's not there anymore, it's it's what you know. And so then people get into certain technology stacks or certain industries or whatnot. That's, that's a good one. You know, also just like the local SEO, even, even though we're all here at home working remotely, we can still work with people in our city. And I think a lot of people just aren't taking advantage of that local search engine optimization and Facebook uh, ability to uh, get clients as well. Going back to the first point, like the niching, I, I, I think that's like super, super powerful. And I see firms that specialize in e-commerce and they just do so well, or they specialize in, well, restaurants is not exactly the, the niche you want to be in right at the moment, but uh, I suppose if you're helping those restaurants succeed, maybe you have more than one as a sort of hedge, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot you could say about restaurants. Certainly people will want to dine out once things return to normal, and there will be restaurants who will need accountants and CPAs. So if you're well-versed in the changes that have been going on in the restaurant industry and you know DoorDash and Uber Eats and stuff, if you're the one who's been paying attention to that, you're going to be best positioned for those clients, and that stuff's going to come back. And to your point about how you differentiate from these low-value services or these transactional services... PPP is actually a great example of that. Mm -hmm. We saw a company trying to do this scale factor, right? this app with a bookkeeping practice, tax practice, go under during COVID. They had to go out of business because they couldn't adapt. Their tech process was so rigid, they couldn't help their clients through paycheck protection. They weren't able to figure out how to do that, whereas independent accountants and bookkeepers could adapt. We could learn. We could figure out what's going on. We could help our clients do the applications, get the funding. So we succeeded, right? So that that that's the advantage we have is the adaptability to, on the turn of a dime, you know, just offer new services that our clients need. You know, you saw people who niched in like medical, for instance, or dental, really do well with PPP because those industries had a shutdown for like eight, 12 weeks in a lot of places, and then they were able to get going again. So they, if they help their clients get the PPP, those clients are grateful like forever uh, in that regard. So 
that niching also enables you to be really responsive and help your clients with like what they need. You know, can you imagine like a medical practice that got help getting a paycheck protection program loan that helped them survive is not going to go shopping for another. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to yeah. go shopping around for like an app that's going to, you know, just key in transactions. Cause that's not where the value is for them. Yeah. There's enormous value in being able, being able to navigate all this compliance stuff that keeps your business afloat. Um, let's talk about e-commerce because so many businesses that were headed into, you know, selling online really got forced or accelerated that process. And yet e-commerce is, can be super challenging with point of sale and all these different apps that, you know, trying to get inventory to correspond what's in the store, what's not at what's being sold online. If you're a CPA who has clients who have e-commerce type businesses, what advice do you have for them? Well, you, you've got to actually get into the nitty gritty of these apps and, and really understand what are the pain points and what will work for your clients and what won't, depending on the type of business they are. And that's, again, where the specialization really helps, because if you're working with similar businesses, you can find that point of sale that works really well for them. You know it, and then you can very confidently recommend it and ideally implement it. And your firm is the go-to for support before even the tech company that makes that point of sale. You want them calling you as much as possible. And by charging a fixed fee or a retainer to like implement and support it and to do all the accounting and the compliance, you know, you can hopefully have fewer clients and then you can spend more time when they call. It's not like a problem, right? I'm, I'm very much on board with the idea of getting away from uh, transactional accounting, like charging people for a six minute call. I had to do that when I was at a big firm and it just felt so silly to be putting point. Well, we, we rounded, thank, thank, thankfully we rounded to the quarter hour. Yeah. I had, but I had to make a choice. If I had a five minute call from a client about a tech issue they were having, do I charge them for that <laughs> or do I not? Right. Yeah. So I just always rounded up and then I would just, you know, write off the time if I felt like it right was at what point do you round but, down to zero yeah it's like it's it's so weird the whole the whole like incentive system of hourly billing you know um it just doesn't reward us for spending the time with our clients that we need to you know make them successful so it's like a perverse situation yeah <laughs> it's for those who listen to my podcast they know that I'm vehemently anti-hourly billing for countless reasons not to mention the fact that I think that being able to sell something without a price tag on it should be illegal. <laughs> it really should, right? It really should. You're not you're not actually selling something. Yeah, if there's no price um, tag on it, then yeah. Um, so my podcast listeners know this. Um, so they're going to be no, that will come as a surprise that, you know, billing in for six minutes or whatever, 15 minutes, whatever you want to call it is a terrible way to go. Plus it, it, dis it discourages your clients from picking up the phone to call you when they need you. Cause that nobody wants to wonder if the meter is running and like, is it running? Is it not running? Do we have a conversation about whether or not it's running? Do you bill me for the conversation about whether we have, if the meter's running, you know, it just gets absurd. So I'm always, I've always been very, uh, a big proponent of accountants and bookkeepers being the owner of the information system, because that's how we do our compliance work. If we're doing that, a lot of folks are doing tax. And I found in my practice, uh, I, I had a bookkeeping technology practice and we were acquired by a CPA firm. The CPA firm did a lot of tax and international tax. That was their big money maker. My big money maker was the tech and we would pair the bookkeeping as a residual income stream. And once we combined those two practices, it was incredible because 
the bookkeepers were doing all the hard work that the tax people would often have to do compressed at the end of the year in tax season. So they would get tax ready books completely perfectly done, you know, trial balance all set, ready to go into the tax software. And we'd even collect, you know, all the information, a lot of the information ahead of time. So it just made a ton of sense. Like we owned the information system, which is the general ledger and more, right? It's the whole business information stack that could be the e-commerce system, the point of sale, uh, the general ledger, the payroll system. We made the bill pay system. We managed all that. And then when it came time to actually do the compliance filings, like we weren't cleaning stuff up. It was already clean. Uh, that's why I think we should own the tech. So this, you think that this, the accounting firm should own the tech sort of soup to nuts all the way through the stack? As much as possible. Yeah, exactly. And if that means hiring IT people to maintain it, I mean, we can charge for it, right? The businesses will pay a separate IT company to manage their IT for them. Like, why can't we roll that in if possible? I mean, I was that kind of IT guy, right? I, I got my CPA, but I consider myself to be a tech person first. And so, yeah, I would I would go in and I, I originally started out managing QuickBooks uh, point of sales for people, right, physically, installing them, getting them up and running. And then it became cloud-based, right, square point of sales, or it became, you know, stuff they could set up. And then I would manage online, help them set up their virtual store, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a huge pain point for businesses and, like, who else is going to do it? Yeah, certainly all the technology integration all that has huge pain points and is an enormous amount of time invested in getting all that stuff to talk to each other and talk to each other right and have those connections stay stable. Um, what do you think is keeping CPAs from doing what you're talking about? We don't learn it in school. That's for one thing. Um, I, I can't think of an accounting program where you actually take an IT class that isn't an elective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one of the problems. You know, I think a lot of the people that are attracted to software and IT end up going into that field. We don't, we aren't taught it. It's not our natural inclination, and we don't have the time. That's the other problem. Is that it's a good problem to have that there is so much compliance work, there is so much just bookkeeping, traditional accounting work to be done that it's really hard to make the time in our firms to do anything else. And so people have this idea: I want to start this practice, and then it never gets off the ground because there's no capacity to really grow it. I think that like running around doing so much stuff is often what crushes a lot of initiatives and firms. It's just, who's going to do it? Nobody has the time. Nobody has the capacity. Everybody's got to hit these billable hours goals. So if you don't, if you don't give them some slack in there, it's not going to be enough. And usually if they do, they'll give them like 10%. And like, you <laughs> yeah. can't really make meaningful progress on a new project if you're only spending 10% of your time on it. It's like, it's a joke. So then that's what I faced. Like I actually would stare at my timesheet every week. And I'd have, you know, four hours allocated for my tech improvement project that I wanted to do in my cast practice that I was part of in a big firm. And like, I could barely make a dent in it. Yeah. And when I delegated that, I could barely make a dent in it either because it was like people's last priority. Their number one priority was getting the billable hours so they could hit their goal uh, for the firm. So that's like, it's, it's the, the incentives I'll keep everybody running around busy all the time. Busy and not focusing on where the most potential value is. Yeah, because it's, it's investment you're making now for some future benefit, right? But the incentives are all about now, not about the future. So nobody, nobody's, nobody's making that human capital investment. Yeah. So you wrote somewhere that when you started back in your bookkeeping days and developing cloud accounting software, that you wanted to disrupt the business model. 
And what is the business model specifically that you want to disrupt? Is this what you're talking about? And what is you want to shift it into? Well, so I was specifically competing against CPA firms in Los Angeles that were doing bookkeeping for clients. And that was super easy to disrupt because they had bookkeepers in their expensive offices and high rises on Wilshire Boulevard charging clients 80 to $100 an hour to do data entry into QuickBooks desktop. And I knew that I could shave off 80% of the time they were spending with automation and cloud tools and integrations. And I did. And so then I could charge a much better price, not necessarily a significantly lower price. You know, I, I wasn't charging 20%, uh, but I could charge half and I could earn an incredible margin. Right. And my clients were happier because I was more responsive because the only people they could get a hold of at the firm were the bookkeepers, not the partners. Like that was the, that is the traditional model of a lot of cast practices still. That's what they consider to be bookkeeping. And, you know, it's just like easy to take those clients. I, but more and more firms are switching to fixed fees. They're uh, available. They're taking on, you know, more than just write up work. Like, so it's changing. So let's come back to technology because I, um, I see a lot of accountants with a stack of technology that's, you know, 20 apps and, app and software pieces deep. You know, and in some cases, they'll have two different pieces of software that are in the same space. They effectively do the same thing, but one has a different flavor from the other. And it makes me wonder about designing you know, plugging in your software after you've got clients who need it. And it reminds me of a time that, so I'm going to tell a little story just to kind of illustrate the concept that I'm wondering about. And that is that one time, a bunch of years ago, I went to a woman's housewarming party and she had just built this really gorgeous house. And she happened to have an extensive art library, which included an eight by 10 moose in a forest and an Andy Warhol of the four quadrants, you know, of Marilyn Monroe, except she had it commissioned and it was her and a bunch of other really great art. And what she did was go to the architect and say, I have these really important pieces of artwork that I'd like to have on display. Can you design the house around the artwork? Whereas most people would go to the architect, say, build me a house with an open floor plan and da da da, and I'll hang my artwork after. But she did it the reverse. And the effect was such that when you walk in the house, you're greeted by this larger than life moose looking right at you. And I can tell you that it just stops you dead in your tracks. And then, you know, you're sitting in the, you're sitting in the, the salon having tea and the fire is sort of lighting up this Andy Warhol commissioned painting. And it was really incredible in a way that, you know, words won't do it justice, but to have a house that's designed around artwork was a very different experience from walking into a house that's built a certain way and then the art is hung on the walls after. And it makes me wonder about software for accountants who have their client base of 300 clients, and then they're trying to find what software to plug in and what makes the most sense. If you were to build your own accounting practice, around your own software stack, what do you think you'd build and who do you think you'd have as clients? So this is a great question and I'm glad you asked it because it reminds me of the number one complaint I got from my clients when I had my practice, which was, Blake, I don't know where to go 
to get anything, to do anything. Like you've got six apps set up. I have six logins. I can't remember what they are. So then of course my solution was get them a password manager. So now they have seven apps. <laughs> now use <Yeah>. LastPass. <laughs> so that was the number one complaint. And what I realized is that the clients didn't want to interact with the apps. They wanted to interact with me. And so we, as a firm, gradually modified our workflows such that we minimized when the clients ever had to log into something. So the only time they ever had to log into something was to send us something securely or to authorize a payment that we could not authorize in any other way. Uh, but ideally, they would only have to interact with us via email or text message. And that made the clients much happier because they knew I just get on email and I send an email to this address. And by the way, I had special email addresses for every client. So they could just email this dedicated alias and it would go to their team. So they didn't even have to remember which person on my team to email because we had people responsible for different things. So we had a bookkeeper, they had a bill pay person, they had a payroll person. They couldn't remember who these people were, especially if they were only interacting with them infrequently. So I wanted to give them one throat to choke, <laughs> essentially, right? One point of contact, uh, and then they would be nice, of course, uh, after that. And it, and it works. And so to use your analogy, you know, you're building the house around the artwork. I would say design your processes around the client's ideal experience. Client experience is everything. And even in really traditional accounting firms, the one thing they do really, 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 really well, the partners who are successful, is the client experience is amazing. That client calls in, that partner picks up, and it's a special conversation. They have a special relationship. They feel treasured. I've seen that. And if you're sitting in the room and you hear a call like that, you go, this client is never going to leave our firm. We could cost them tens of thousands of dollars in tax screw ups, and they will never leave because of this relationship with this partner. Uh, so you want to build your own firm that way from a technology perspective is like, what's, what's best for the client, not what's most convenient for me as a firm. And so, uh, yeah, I would actually hide most of the apps from them. So don't have them even log into payroll if you don't have to, right? Run the payroll, send them the reports so they can review it. If possible, don't even have them log into the bill payment platform. Set up your system such that if they send you a bill to an email address, that constitutes approval to pay it and put that into your contract. So like, if you send us the bill, we will pay it on your behalf up to this amount. Otherwise, we're going to try to get a, a higher level of approval from you, which may require you logging in or doing something else to confirm it. But that way, all the stuff that's going month to month, day to day, you know, you're not causing them a hassle to have to log into a bill pay platform and, you know, authorize stuff that, well, why can't they just send you an email or for a, under a certain amount? Like your risk is relatively low, right? I mean, yes, you could have fraud occur, but you got to balance that with the client experience. That's my philosophy. So you don't necessarily have a favorite tech stack sitting out there where you'd have, you know, this thing at the top and then on down. Oh, uh, well, so it depends, right? It depends on, and that's the answer that every CPA will give you for everything. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so I hope your listeners will appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it depends on the industry. And also things have changed a lot. I, I haven't been in practice for a few years now because I've been on the, the, the technology side. You know, I'm a big fan of using the general ledger software that is familiar. Uh, so like either QuickBooks or Xero, you know, you go with that, you standardize on that as much as possible. Pretty hard to, to do just one, 
these days, but you know, those are my, those are my go-tos, uh, in terms of bill pay, you know, you've got bill.com, you've got Melio, depending on the complexity of the approvals that need to happen. Melio is probably great for the smaller companies, uh, bill.com. If you need complex approval workflows, uh, and then, you know, in terms of payroll, I'm a huge fan of Gusto. I think that's the easiest thing in the world to use. Um, what else do we have? We got like document management and processing, Expensify for expense reimbursements. Am I missing any big ones? Task management software. Oh, task management software. That's that's everyone's. That's everyone's uh, going to be a little different on that. So I will not make a recommendation on task management. If you're just an independent person, uh, I love OneNote as a way to keep track of all of my projects and tasks, and I find it like super flexible and effective. And I even used it with my team when I was at the big firm because we had a task management system, but it was not very like flexible or easy to use. So what I did is I just created shared OneNote notebooks for every client. And then we had a sort of a template where we would just populate the key information that we needed to share. And then I could restrict access to the notebooks to whoever's on the team. And honestly, it was very low tech, relatively speaking, but it worked really, really well. So I, the more I spend in technology, the more low tech I tend to go with a lot of solutions. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. You want to minimize those apps. You want to minimize the the stuff that you're making your staff log into too, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. How about uh, Receipt Bank versus HubDoc? The buzz among bookkeepers is that Receipt Bank having just raised their rates, is it worth it or not? You know, I never, I had both. I used both and I was never like in love with either of them because HubDoc, their interface seemed to always need a lot of work. They just got duplicate detection, which is great. I'm really excited about that. Uh, but like in terms of actually like managing documents, you know, not the best. Receipt being much better at that, but then just some other weird things with them. Like th I never used auto entry, so I'm not sure, you know, how that's going. But I think actually document management, like Receipt Bank and HubDoc and auto entry is going away. I don't think it's actually going to be that big a deal in the future in the United States anyway, because like most of the receipts, we don't actually have to save them, right? We can get everything we need off the bank statement. If it's under $75 for like most categories, the IRS is never going to ask for it, right? So, so why not just like tell your clients, look, I don't, if it's under 75 bucks and it's not for lodging, I don't need it. Interesting. Okay. Cause so many accountants will say like credit card statements do not count as receipts. Yeah. But then Expensify will tell you that if you're, if you're using them, they'll generate a receipt. Like the, the statement line itself is enough for up to 75 bucks. And you can go online and you can look at this. I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong and I'd love if one of your listeners would correct me, but you know, when was the last time the IRS ever asked for anything like that, that small? So let's, you know, let's, let's see what we actually need and then adapt our technology for that. And, and I mean, you don't need it to put into the general ledger, right? So why not just if, if you do want your clients saving all that stuff, just dump it somewhere, have them dump it somewhere. I mean, even the shoebox, the good old shoebox is a nice way to just have them create one for the year. They can put everything in there and the 1% chance they get audited and anyone asks for a receipt that's under 75 bucks, you can go find it. Yeah. Right. What's the trade-off in terms of the risk and how much time and energy and money are we willing to invest in low risk work? Well, and you can put that risk onto your clients. You can say, you have two choices. You can either take a picture of every single receipt, <laughs> which is a big pain in the butt, and you're not going to do it, or 
You can just shove them all in a shoebox. It's your responsibility. I disclaim any responsibility for holding onto receipts. It's up to you. Uh, and probably you're not going to get audited and asked for these small receipts. And if you do, then you know, you'll pay me to go through them. But only in the off chance that you actually get audited, right? And most clients will take that risk. Yeah, they will. <laughs> Seven days They'd a rather, week. <laughs> rather than pay you to like process uh, you know, stuff every day that doesn't necessarily need to get processed. So Yeah. Because many yeah. of them are already not doing it anyways. Exactly. So why change? So, so it's just like with taxes, right? We we have a risk-based approach. You, nobody, I don't think very many practitioners are like uh, into 100% perfection. You say at a certain point, this is good enough and you ship it, right? Just like with software, at a certain point, it's good enough. It's close, the materiality applies. And you say like, look, you know, uh, we're just going to do it. And the same thing for bookkeeping, right? The cost of the information should not exceed the value derived from it. That's a core accounting principle. And we got to apply that when it comes to bookkeeping. And so, uh, you know, I used to tie everything to the penny. And these days I'm like, plug it. If it's under a hundred bucks, yeah. yep. you know, just plug it. You don't need to go find that $25 receipt. It's crazy. The the incremental amount of time it takes to reconcile a bank account. Yeah, well, and the amount of money you could think about generating in terms of growth in your business in an hour compared to the 25 bucks that you're going to figure out. Yeah. And I would say that to my clients at a certain point, I got experienced enough where I would say, look, if I send you a, a set of financial statements and one of these accounts is off by a hundred bucks, is, does that actually change anything for you in running your business? Yeah. That money's there somewhere, right? It's probably not being stolen from you. It's just, we don't know what account it belongs in. We lost the receipt, whatever. <laughs> like this is, this is not material. And I would t educate my clients about materiality and be like, you could pay me to go find this. Would you like to pay me? It's going to cost you more than $100 to find the $100. Yeah. I mean, and I get the opposing argument and, and <laughs> I want to ask. But you, you, you can let the client make the yeah, decision. Yeah, let them make you know? the decision, That's, right. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about, I mean, given that technology is changing so fast right now and that with, with COVID and the shift to online space, people say, you know, it accelerated this shift, this transition to online by 10 years. Where do you see great pockets of opportunity? I think there is still a, a ton of opportunity for cloud-based firms. You know, I, I would, I, let's see, I started my firm in like 2012 officially, and I think we sold it in 2015 for a tidy sum. And I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> you know, we went from zero, well, I guess I had some clients that I brought in Right, but we went from like me as a solo person to twelve people, generating close approaching a million dollars a year in revenue in three years, and that was like not having any clue what I was really doing as a business owner. So that's that wasn't that long ago. So there's still tons of opportunity. It's all about uh, doing what the other firms aren't doing, and the number one thing they aren't doing is creating scalable processes and workflows. So documenting everything that happens in your firm, having a standardized operating procedure for everything you do so that when you bring on a new hire, you can plug them into your accounts receivable process that you do for clients and they can literally read the manual and look at the app and see how to do it. They can figure it out themselves so you're not constantly teaching them. Because I think the turnover in firms is what kills them because you spend so much time teaching people how to do stuff and then when they leave, having to take it over and then transition it to somebody else, that is what really holds firms back from growing. And then if it, once you standardize all those processes and you get your staff training your other staff, 
you can do this in a small firm, but it takes documentation. Then you can focus on the sales and the marketing. Ah, sales and marketing. Awesome. Because like most firms don't really do it, you know? <laughs> yes. That's perfect. This is going to be our last question. I, mean, I do want to talk to you about apps turning into banks, but that'll have to be for another time. So you have held a number of marketing positions inside software companies that provide applications for accounting related applications. CPAs do not appear to take marketing very seriously. What do you think CPAs need to know about marketing? So it's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty thing. Uh, I actually was listening to the AICPA's Small Firm Philosophy podcast, and one of their interviewees actually said, our firm has a policy of not advertising. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, I heard that, and I did a double take, and I was, I was out walking, and I almost tripped over my own feet. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great thing to do. You should be doing it because uh, even if you've got plenty of clients, you can increase your fees by increasing demand, right? Like if you have too many clients and you can't take on more, that means your fees are too low. Like you should be continuously raising your rates until you have 20% of just empty time, right? The number one thing you would, should do if you're not doing anything is case studies, customer case studies. Uh, and this makes people, I think, feel better about it because it's not like advertising. Yeah. You're showcasing your customers, you're showcasing your expertise and how you helped somebody. And that creates trust and that helps people buy from you. So, so it's not even about necessarily finding new customers with marketing. It's about uh, helping your prospects that may have gotten to you through a referral, helping to close that deal, helping to bring them in because you, you showed this is how I work with clients. You know, this is this is what I can do for you. Results and outcome based case studies. Yeah. And have a bunch of them, you know, and, and showcase your customers like customer proof is the best thing in the world for for us. Blake Oliver, this has been so great. Thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Blake, for coming on the podcast. My takeaways from this conversation are that clients experience is everything. They want to interact with you, not your software. And if you want to scale, it's all about processes and workflows. If you don't want to scale, but you still want to increase your profits, then it's all about advisory and properly packaging your expertise. If you're interested in dialing in your processes, go back and check out episode 78, How to Design Better Workflows in Your Business with David Cristello, founder of Jetpack Workflow. If you're ready to drop hourly billing so that you can build great relationships with your clients, but you're not sure where to start, take my free five-day email course, Better Pricing Strategies for CPAs. It's free, it's easy to follow, and you can find it at my website, shethinksbigcoaching.com. After five days, you'll have a clear idea how to transition off of the scourge that is hourly billing. In the meantime, get started collecting case studies from your most successful clients and get those on your website as social proof. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.